before we get started, I want to point out that these conversations took place over the span of a few months and are not necessarily presented in the order they were recorded. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. In addition, when we say women, we mean all women. Although our dialogue often generalizes women into one social group with shared experiences, we want to specifically express our support for women in minorities of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, etc., and for those using their voices for positive change. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah DeFores. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode 14, when we talk to actress Erin Karpluck. So pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you. Don't, don't let them stop. Don't, don't let them stop you. Erin Carpluck is a Canadian actress who may be best known for her starring role as Erica in the hit CBC series Being Erica, which had four seasons air in over 180 countries. She received a Gemini Award for Best Actress in 2009 and a Leo Award for Best Lead Actress in a Dramatic Series in 2010. But you've seen her face in a lot of places. She first started to make waves after landing a part in Fox's Dark Angel, for which she was handpicked by award-winning director James Cameron to play the pregnant X5 gem. She garnered her first big break when she scored the series' lead, playing Kate on Godiva's, which earned her a 2006 Gemini nomination for Best Actress in a Dramatic Series. She recently finished her second season as a regular on the Netflix horror series Slasher, and her second season playing Teresa Hobby on Hulu's Holly Hobby. Her role as Pepper is the first crossover character to be featured in both 911 and 911 Lone Star, opposite Rob Lowe and Angela Bassett on Fox. She's been the lead role in 18 movies, including Suddenly with Dominic Purcell and Ray Liotta, Reasonable Doubt opposite Samuel L. Jackson and Dominic Cooper, and Bailout, again with Purcell and Edward Furlong. The hit comedy A Swingers Weekend that she starred in won Best Ensemble at the Canadian Film Festival, and Erin received a Best Actress Award for her role in the web series Rift World Chronicles, which also won Best Web Series at the LA Web Series Festival. Erin played Molly Ringwald's sister in a recurring guest star role for Disney XD's Raising Expectations, and she's also had recurring guest star roles on Showtime's Masters of Sex, opposite Michael Sheen, ABC's Rookie Blue, Global's Saving Hope, CW's Life Unexpected, Hallmark's The Fixer Upper Mysteries, and The L Word. She's guest starred on the CW's Supernatural and also on an episode of Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. We can't wait to hear what Erin has to say. I am super excited to have this guest with us today. Erin um, Carpluck is an incredible actress. She's also a fellow Canadian, so props to Canada. And... Um, it's, we're excited to be branching out a little bit beyond our regular territory of the music business. We've been hoping to expand our podcast to other parts of the entertainment industry. And Erin's um, just such an accomplished actress and has been working in the business for a long time. So we're really excited to hear your perspectives. Erin, welcome to the table. Ah, I'm so honored. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's lovely to be with fellow artists and fellow women and fellow Canadians, yeah. even though we're all over the map. Thank you. Yeah. 
So um, can you start by just telling us a little bit about how your journey into acting began? Was it something you knew you wanted to do from the beginning or did you kind of fall into it along the way? I always, since I was a little girl, I mean, I, I was obsessed with television and doing plays with my cousins and like I loved Three's Company and in the back of my mind I just always you know I really glamorized actors and and the storytelling and it's something that I always wanted to do but I don't think I ever I think in grade eight I told my best friend we were on the ski hill and then um when I was I this might be a little bit long but I promise I'll come full circle on it um (laughs) When we were in grade 11, so as you've mentioned, I'm from a very small town, uh, Jasper National Park in the Canadian Rockies. It's beautiful. Uh, the town's probably 4,500 people. My graduating class is 32 people. Oh. Uh, so we didn't have a drama program. You kind of, you know, you study French and we were able to do band, which I'm thankful to the music community I didn't continue with because my alto sax was not so great. <laughs> but so I kind of had the, I kind of had this dream. And then what they do in Jasper is they test the emergency response units. So that's the RCMP, the volunteer firefighters, the wardens uh, once a year. And they take the grade 11 students and they have us essentially a company comes from Edmonton and they assign you a role as a victim. And we do a simulated scenario so I I was they had two cars that they crashed at the base of the ski hill and they I was I was in a car with three other people and I, I was burned. So they put blisters under my eyes and on my hands and they kind of say, you know, you're you're deceased or you have a broken leg or you're hysterical, whatever it may be. And then they drove us out to the site and I just remember before we kind of yelled action on and and they uh, called the emergency response people they just said to us you know the more real you make it the more real of an exercise it'll be for them and if there is a problem there's a code word you say no duff and if you say no duff the exercise stops and we actually really attend to you because there's an issue so I just got goosebumps and I felt like I had permission to just jump into this role and, you know, when we got going, I just kind of threw myself into it. And my guidance counselor, uh, Mike Price, and um, a fellow warden here, he, Mike was on the um, volunteer firefighters, and Mr. Hindle, Murray Hindle, was a warden. Anyways, they were working on the jaws of life trying to get us out. And a couple times, both men said to me, because they know me, they pulled themselves out of the exercise, and they're like, Aaron, are you okay? Are you okay? Because I was you know, all in all my glory here flapping around. And I just stuck with the exercise. So we continued. And I just remember going home and feeling this sense of elation, of magic, of freedom, of I, I don't know how else to describe it, just to be given that opportunity. Because, you know, outside of playing with my friends, I'd never really done something like that. And the next day, Um, I was in high school and I was walking through the halls and Mike Price came up and he's like, he was my guidance counselor. And he said, he's like, Aaron, you should be an actor. And honestly, it just him saying those words gave me the confidence to be able to apply to, um, to a theater school. It was actually the university of Victoria as a theater major. And I had no experience doing that. So then, you know, very long winded, um, answer to your question, but from there I kind of flopped into theater school where I knew nothing and made four years of mistakes and kind of, you know, made my way through four years with all these like theater divas that were the lead of <laughs> stars of their high school plays in huge cities and 
And like we had to do um, a monologue, a, like a dead character monologue. So you have to pick a a real life person or a fictitious person that or a real life person that's deceased write a monologue about them and that's how you audition to get into second or third year I forget and I didn't even know what a monologue was (laughs) so I grabbed all the rugby guys from my dormitory and had them coming out on the catwalks and I played I did Bonnie and Clyde so I was Bonnie and I was talking to Clive and Clive I'm dying I'm dying Clive and I'd catch up packs squirting out on my t-shirt and then all these rugby guys came out with fake guns and like it was atrocious because all the theater kids were like uh uh and the teacher at the end of it I'm panting and puffing and sweating with ketchup all over me and she's like Aaron a monologue is one person talking and I'd stage this elaborate ridiculous like over the top hilarious thing anyways she passed me and I got into the next year but it was just that's kind of like a very very long winded answer to your question but just him giving me the confidence in saying that, I just went for it. And from there, things kind of all fell into place. But yeah, I, I always wanted to be. And I'm 41 now. I'm 20 years in the industry. And every single day when I'm on set, it feels like Christmas morning. Like it just wow. feels like this is what I meant to do. And I'm so incredibly grateful that I get to do it. It's funny talking about Christmas because that's how we met Victoria. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Okay, good segue. Yes. So Erin so and I know each other because um, somehow my music agent got me cast in a movie that Erin was the star of, um, and it's a Christmas movie uh, called Christmas Lodge. It was a Thomas Kincaid production, and it's like one of those movies that reappears every Christmas. It comes back on Amazon Prime and Hallmark it sure Channel. Does. Oh it's boy! The gift that and, keeps and it's giving. like my. <laughs> so I played Aaron's sister, and. Um, like I don't know if your phone lights up like mine does every Christmas, but it's like, oh, tis the season. Here goes my phone again. I just saw you in a movie. <laughs> so, but I showed up on set like never having acted in anything except for like the high school musical stuff, and so um, completely overacted my way through the whole thing. But it was so much fun, and and boy, oh boy, Erin, do you know your stuff? Like she just owned it, and I just loved watching you work. Like. I, I'm curious, when did you really start to feel like you had your feet under you in terms of like walking in and having confidence with what you were doing and not feeling like you were making so many mistakes all the time? That's an amazing question. And it took years to get there. And just to, to step back for people that are listening, obviously, you know, Victoria's music work, but you were phenomenal and a complete natural coming on set and won over the hearts of all the cast all the crew I mean you're stunning and you're so professional and it it really felt like you you'd been acting your whole life just because you're well you're such an attentive listener and you're very present I was able to work with Jewel the singer yeah as well and she reminded me of working with you because literally acting is all about reacting and listening to the other person and because I think you and her in my experiences singers are so present and know how to tell a story that whatever I would do was bounced right off of you like which a lot of actors they can act in a can and they can be 
selfish and kind of do their own thing. But you just had these big eyes looking at me and <laughs> would mirror whatever I did. And obviously professional. And, like, it was such a joy. It was such a joy to oh, work with you. Oh, thank you for saying that. You're, you're great in the movie. And you also <laughs> scored it, which is, like, I think that's what makes the movie uh-huh. is, is your song. Uh, something that Victoria and I were just talking about, texting about before we got on here that I'm really curious about. What is the dynamic like for you with your peers, with other women that you've worked for? I've always heard and felt in like in music, such a camaraderie between women and just fellow artists in general. Does that, like Victoria was asking, it took a long time for you to kind of, like you said, feel like mm-hmm. you took charge and had that confidence. How do your peers play into that? How does that dynamic play into your confidence or insecurity on a set? It's a really, it's a really good question. And in part to what Victoria had asked about, like, when did I know? When did I have the confidence? I would say the first five years, I was like a fish out of water I did, I came out of theater school and I was, you know, I got this reoccurring part on glory days, um, you know, and, and they would say number ones, number ones, everyone. And I played the secretary and I had this short spiky hairdo in my coffee pot and I was so excited to act, but I didn't know what number ones were. Like they don't teach you certain things in theater school. So the camera director, the, 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 our A camera operator was really sweet. He just whispered to me, he's like, Aaron, that means get on your first mark. And I was like, right, yo. So it was a lot of just like <laughs> keeping my mouth shut, listening, watching other actors and like all the really supportive people there that that you help out that hopefully I can now also help out because everyone starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think I got my confidence after being a lead in a series just because it just, it really comes from being on set. There's a lot of technical stuff that goes mm-hmm into play with being on a set as an actor. And I Mm -hmm. felt once I was like confident in that, then the art can actually run through. So I would say after my first lead, which was a show called Godiva's, and then to get back to your question, Sarah, with my peers, a part of me also growing as an artist throughout the years, like it's hard, it's so much rejection. It's really an unstable job. Um, but what I found in, and I, I primarily started off in Vancouver, is this community of girls that I was acting with, which you'd see in the audition room over and over and over again. Throughout the years, we were on this same journey together. And what I realized, and what I, I can guarantee they would all say the same thing, is that when we were in the audition room, it's nice to have a healthy bit of competition. Like, we all want the part. We all want that experience. We all want the money. But... Uh, at the same time, we would joke in the in the waiting room before going in, like if Chayla was there and Michelle Harrison and Sonia Bennett, we'd be like, oh, Sonia, this is so yours because, you know, you've got the quirky, beautiful blonde thing or Michelle Harrison, you've got this because you're like just, you know, she can do really strong, powerful, striking roles or, you know, Chayla does like we all kind of bring to the table something I play the loser a lot so whenever there was a loser role they're like carp like you got this but what we found is that like there was a lot of support in the room um we all wanted each other to do a good job and I mean you lose the part 95 percent of the time so it was always nice to go uh to to people that you know that are that are also like big-hearted in the world and to know that there's space for us all and it's it is a hard job and at the end of the day the only person you're really in competition with is yourself. So if I'm going into an audition, not even Meryl Streep, Meryl can do what I do because it's just impossible. Like 
same thing I would, I would think as a singer, like you can bring something to the table that no one can, else can offer. So my primary responsibility is just to kind of hone and be the best that I can be. And, you know, hopefully not go into the audition. And as we say, shit the bed, you want to do mm-hmm. your best, but ultimately you can go in there and smack it out of the park. But if they're looking for something different, that's out of your control and you have to graciously let it go. And yeah, and, and it's awkward when you're auditioning with your girlfriends and you have to do that call of like, like, hey, I got it. And then you're flooded with like, good for you, good for you, good for you. And and it's been really, I've been very grateful. It's been very reciprocated with not only my, my, my female community of actors in Vancouver, but as well as in Toronto. And now even extended to LA and even working with strangers in LA, you know, everyone kind of has this idea that actors are cutthroat and it's very shallow or there's a Hollywood, uh, whatever. My experience was similar there too with American uh, women in the acting field where, you know, we go in and you you smile at each other and you leave the room or you say break a leg to the rest of them and smile and leave. Like I can count on one hand the the number of bad experiences I've had with someone trying to undermine you. Uh, but on the whole, it's just like, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of support. And that that also just, it comes with time and and uh, getting older for me and being more graceful about things. And, and I've got this, just, just these rocks, like the absolute solid rocks, um, other, other actresses around me that we just will call each other all the time if, if something goes up or down and just supporting each other. I think it's really, really, really important. And the men in my life do too, but I'm just kind of focusing on the ladies right now. Yeah, it's really nice to hear about that experience because you're right no matter what area of entertainment sometimes people really do think it's super negative and cutthroat you do have those people Mm -hmm. but I think it's really encouraging to anybody listening who's trying to break into whatever industry especially acting that you can find those pockets of community and love and support that will help you get through the really bad times because there's a lot of them and you have to seek those out because it's survival like you have to if you don't have community you've got nothing it's very it can be a very lonely journey I think in the arts and it's it's mm-hmm. it's really important to have that and it's like when you watch the Oscars I don't know if it's the same if you watch the country music awards we're like how do you pick best singer how do you pick yeah. best actor because you're picking from the best in the world and it's just you know, sometimes there is a, a huge standout based on whatever the role may be, but it's like, there's so much talent, there's room for us all. And, you know, life's too short to, to, to not be, it just feels good to be supportive of people. And if you find someone that's not supportive around you, it's, it's, you, you don't have to make an issue about it. You can just, you know, consciously for yourself, choose to not associate with that person if you can, but always be, yeah. always be graceful and nice to them. Do you feel like there's, um, I know in music, when you're collaborating as songwriters, there's Mm -hmm. a real sense of sort of a class of that comes up together and then success happens for one and it happens for others. Is there a parallel to that in your business as well? Or is it just the control is not necessarily in your hands of who's chosen for projects, I guess, as opposed to with us, we're kind of choosing who we're working with to make these projects. Oh, that's interesting. For me, at least, like my experience in Vancouver and in Toronto, the acting pool is just, it, it really is small. Like, and um, I I think, like, I'm 41 now. The girls that I was in my 20s with that were, were still acting right now, it's a lot of, like, perseverance and a lot of just showing up and 
because, you know, it does the dynamics do change as you get older. You start doing the mom roles and you, you're not the ingenue anymore and the this and the that. Um, I, I, the ones that are working with me now, we all are all, I, I say at the same rate. And then a couple of us have like popped out and have become megastars like on just going to name drop a bit here. <laughs> but um, like on being Erica, I did a show in Toronto about a, a woman that time travels and becomes um, a therapist of time travel uh, throughout the, the four seasons. And my first patient is this brilliant monster actress, Tatiana Moslani. And, uh, I got a chance to work with her and there was just something so different about her when we were doing our scene. I'm supposed to be her doctor and in charge, but she just had this, like this kind of energy, like it was palpable and it was thick in the room and it was exciting. And then obviously since then she's gone on to do Orphan Black, which she won an Emmy for from our little Canadian pocket. Mm-hmm. And they just announced that she's She-Hulk. Oh, I just wow. read the trade really? papers. So she's now in the Marvel community. Wow. And I just got I just got goosebumps like when she was at the Emmys and now she's like doing this monster mega like if I mean I think in the world you could think of these Marvel movies as the biggest in the world. And here she is. And so that's something totally to be celebrated. And then some of my actor friends, they're still making a living doing guest parts in shows. So I guess sometimes there's, I mean, there is massive talent. Um, but I know some of the most talented actors that I have as friends, they never hit. They never made it. For some reason, they didn't. And I don't know what that is. If it's it's chance meeting a prepared mind, I'm trying to hone in Oprah here to like what it is that makes it. Um, I know for me, if I, if I didn't have, um, being Erica, my career would be very different now that opened up a lot of doors for me. And that, and I put that on tape. That was something it was, I think I had like five auditions that day and it was something I put on tape and it was just, it just was the right, I don't know. And it totally changed my life and exposed me to Toronto, East coast, Canada, our show was in 180 countries in the world. So it has this like international um, spectrum that it's reached where I'll get, I'll get letters from people saying how it's affected their life. And it's really awesome. In the same breath, though, I don't walk down the street and people aren't like, oh, my God, there's Eric Carflock. Like, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not Justin Bieber. Like, that's, you know, like, it's, it's, but, but I work and I'm very happy. I don't know if that answered your question. As- yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think Victoria can agree that there are so many similarities in what you just said to the music industry. There really is something about certain people where you can just feel that energy that something's different and then on the flip side some of the most talented people in Nashville are like quote-unquote Nashville famous and no one knows who they are some of them aren't signed or wouldn't haven't been signed until they've been in the industry 20 years it's really crazy to see that but I love that you mentioned that you've been in the industry 20 years and how the roles change because we hear so much of that um, in music. It's really talked about often. I heard, especially when I came to town at like, I started traveling here at 18 and I heard the, oh, you got to get signed by like 23, 25. You, people won't really sign women after that. It's like you're, and then there's like 40 year old dudes wearing like jeans and ripped t-shirts that are on the red carpet. And they're like, they just got their their big deal. And I'm like, why, why can't we do that? Like, what's the difference? Um, can you speak a little bit more to your experience with um, 
the combination of age and gender or age just on it on its own whatever you've experienced personally or seen for for your peers it is it's 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 a good question and i hate to say that it's a lot it's very similar in the acting community it's like if you want to kind of get out and get a name it you it's ideally you'd want to be like jennifer lawrence and uh who else was i thinking of the other day they she was a child actress Mm -hmm. like they had been pounding the pavement in los angeles since they were kids and then you know and and a lot of the overnight successes that you see they've actually been working like nonstop. it's just getting that right project that really gets like visible in the light uh for myself i've certainly noticed I mean, there's two parts here. There's there there is a movement that's happening right now, and you're seeing incredibly strong women roles for people in for women in their 40s and 50s now, and it's mm. so refreshing. I was watching the Emmys the other night, and there was one category, and I think everyone was over 45. Had to be. I don't know if it, I don't I can't remember exactly which category if it was best supporting for a television show or. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so refreshing because I think that there's so much depth to people that have lived a longer life than, you know, a lot of these, no offense if you're younger, but teeny bopper shows that are kind of like surface. And that's not to say that there's not incredibly brilliant uh, younger actresses, but my my personal experience is um, I definitely, you hit that 30 mark and you start going out for the mom roles. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been lucky that I still do a lot of leads which I love doing for the sole fact that I like I like to be in control of telling the story I just feel people are always like oh that's so much more responsibility but for me it's the opposite like if I'm if they if they trust me to be in charge of telling the story I feel like complete artistic reign and I feel very free and confident whereas if I'm just doing a guest star in a show I'm scared of throwing things off for other people and I'm I, I get nervous because this whole machine's been running and, 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 you know, I want to do a good job, but it's just, it's nice. Anyways, I've been, I've been very lucky that I still do leads, but for sure, I've had conversations with my managers and agents in the last few pilot seasons where they're like, well, Aaron, you're just, you know, you're too old for these, or you are not the right ethnicity, or you are, um, you don't have an American name. And nobody cares about that. You need to, if you haven't hit and had a, 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 an American series at this point, um, sorry. And it's very cut. And, and, and I did one show where they wanted me to do nudity and I had an issue with it. And I spoke with my representation and I'm like, look at Sarah Jessica Parker. She doesn't get naked on sex in the city. And my agent just said to me flat out, you're not Sarah Jessica Parker. And I was like, copy that mm-hmm. noted and noted and noted. That's gotta be a hard thing to navigate. That's, I mean, yeah. The issue of nudity and the expectations around that. And yeah. I mean, is it, is it common to, be asked to do nude scenes is it something that you're supposed to just be okay with or is it something that a lot of people have issue with I think that it for me it depends on the project and normally before you audition for the role it is clearly stated in the breakdown like will require nudity so a lot of my girlfriends are not comfortable with that and they'll just um reject the audition uh I will do nudity if it's something that I believe is essential and not gratuitous mm-hmm. Um, cause sometimes it does aid a storytelling and if you can lend your, I mean, we lend our spirit to these shows. A body is just a shell, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm like, if you got a great butt, get it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 
but you know it becomes a very it becomes very logistic of as to will you show the right buttock cheek and will you show the dot 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 um and and there's been some roles that I've lost where I would have had to have done like some explicit nudity and I lost them and I was okay to lose them because also you have to be aware that that stuff's on the internet for the rest of your life now and for your kids to watch for your kids kids for I mean it can be it can be very strange I don't I don't know but I've I've I have always um I guess I had experience when I was younger and that's something that you really have to get confidence about and be very clear going into the job and get everything on paper before you start shooting. Because once you're shooting, you've got 50 people staring at you and you can feel very pressured into, well, just take off the bra. We'll just, mm-hmm. just, just, and, and, and you want to be accommodating and, and do a good job and, you know, have people like you, all that stuff. But you have to go in there like armed with bullets and you have the union behind you and you have to have your contract and just say, I'm not comfortable with this. And that's definitely something that I, that I learned throughout my career. And, uh, at the end of the day, you just say no, if, you know, if, if that's not what you signed on for. And as far as men, just to flip back, it is, it's interesting what you said about those fellows on the cat, on the red carpet with their cowboy boots, like as men get older and they get the salt and pepper grays and stuff, they just get better and better on camera. And, you know, I, I, I shouldn't, I, I guess I can't, I'm not a man in the industry, so I can't speak on behalf of it, but I don't think that there's nearly as much of an issue for them getting older as there is for, for women. And that's just, I think that a lot of people would agree with that. Is it right? No. Does it happen? Yes. Yeah. And that's incredibly frustrating, especially when you're in a creative pursuit like this, you're mining your life experience to do your work, right? The more the more you live, the more you go through, the more emotions you feel and situations you've been in and trauma you've probably navigated, the the richer your your acting would be, I would guess. It's like mm-hmm. the richer your songwriting is. Yeah. And it it's just sad to think that the opportunities would be sort of drying up as you get to the point where you would have more to share a hundred percent I mean a hundred percent um which is why I I have noticed somewhat of a shift um in like in the last five plus years where there there are like a lot of like a lot of the women that have won Oscars are like I was ready to pack it up and ship out and and be done I can't remember right now I'm having a brain fart the woman from the fighter with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. Anyways, she, I mean, she's been working forever and ever. And anyways, she ended up winning an Oscar for this and it was later in her life. And I was just like, yeah, man, like, yeah. Like I would so much rather watch Frances McDormand rattle a scene Mm -hmm, with no Botox, graciously getting older, having these incredible scenes and expressions and storytelling than like someone that's just very glossy, in their 20s. And I don't mean to poo-poo on 20-year-olds because there is some dynamite talent there as well. But I certainly gravitate more towards uh, mature content because that's where I'm like middle-aged now and that's what I gravitate towards. But yeah, I don't I don't know that it's something that we can solve in this one podcast, but definitely bringing <laughs> light to it. I don't think it's a big secret. <laughs> and it is frustrating. Like it's frustrating when you're like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah. I, I want to ask too, like going back to what you were saying about nudity, are there as many asks of men to 
be nude as there are of women? Do you think, um, do you think, I mean, obviously we have a little more territory on our body that's considered Mm -hmm. nudity. So right there, (laughs) that's like double. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm just wondering whether they are faced with that decision as often as women are. Well, I think HBO is really changed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. HBO, I've seen more nuts and bolts on mm-hmm. HBO than sometimes I'd care to. I was like, okay. But it's also, I mean, it's, uh, in my experience, I actually, I had a, a male friend. I'm obviously not going to say his name, but he went through a really awkward um, shoot on a television show I won't name where he had to do full frontal nudity and just found out on the day. And it really, like, I just watched him kind of go in this downward spiral of realizing that it's going to be out there forever and he had a family and it's something that he agreed to do without actually quite knowing or having the discussion to be clear. Um, and I, I always kind of, I felt really bad for him. So, um, and then I've also on... Being Erica and Godiva's, I've had plenty of love sayings. And sometimes because I was the lead, the men were asked to do a little bit more. And I always tried my best to make them feel comfortable because they were kind of, they were treated like the sex object. Like Taylor Kitsch, sorry, Taylor, I'm outing you here. He is, um, he's from BC. He was on uh, Friday Night Lights. I think, anyways, and he's gone on to do, like had an amazing career. So he had one of his first days on set was on Godiva's and he was just like the hot surfer dude that I got to make out with. And he was so completely objectified on the day because he's extremely good looking and he's got like a gazillion abs and whatever that I was kind of aware on the day. Like I, 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 I didn't feel bad for him for, per se, but I did want him to feel comfortable. But I think, I think it goes both ways. Um, I do think that you have a, a good Point that you bring up Victoria about we've got a lot more geography in our body to show and I think people think breasts are less um of an issue than anything below the waist so it's easier to show like a you know that than but I guess I I, I just don't like seeing things that are hugely gratuitous and it's like you know what I didn't I didn't see her I didn't see her topless in that scene what was the point of that I want to highlight just how much you named off how many things you have to go through and boxes you have to check in order to make sure that you don't have to be nude. You have to say down to a specific body part what you will or won't show and how you're mm-hmm. you have to have your union and your team behind you and have this in contract and it, it I don't think people who who don't do this job realize just how much goes into everything because if it was you sitting on the couch watching this if that was you on set that would I mean I can't imagine showing up in a room full of 50 people with my top off like I I can't picture it and I know on the music side in I work mostly in pop hip-hop and rap um which is different than the country scene where I kind of honed my skills and I recently when you were talking about that I flashed back to a conversation I had last year with a friend um Lo Miller she's an awesome writer and she gave me some advice about how to handle when eventually I would be in these sessions where they would take every hook that I presented and somehow make it sexual, even if it wasn't. And that's something within the last six months that I've come up 
against a lot. And it what you were saying made me just flash through all those instances where in the room I'm like, guys, this wasn't wasn't sexual. And now it's like really explicit. And I've had when you were talking about you have to make sure you have it ahead of time because it's really easy to be kind of pushed to do a little bit more and a little bit more on the day of. Um, it's the same thing where I would get home and then like edit my lyrics and be like, hey guys, I took a second look and I just feel like this is a little too much here, a little too much there. And it's it's a lot easier, I think, for men to be sexual in a creative space and put it out there than women because traditionally we have been so over-sexualized that it feels super vulnerable and it can put us at a lot more risk than it does men sometimes. Um, I, I just wanted to highlight how much thought and time goes into all of those super vulnerable things that might just end up being five seconds on a screen or one line in a song because it's a really big deal for the people putting their faces on the screen and like you said having that out there for the rest of their lives absolutely and I always think like with singers I guess I'm not 100% sure I guess you do have somewhat of a persona like certainly if you're Lady Gaga or whatnot but it is you up there one thing I, I really enjoy about acting is that while I am calling, I'm drawing on my own personal experiences, I'm lending my body, my voice, my hair, my breasts if need be, whatever that is, I also am hiding behind a character. So like I think of like Lena Dunham, I was thinking in Girls, mm. what wonderful fresh nudity, mm-hmm. you know what, like like it's not your, yeah. your, she's beautiful, but it's not your perfect body that we expect to see and it was real and you could relate to it and I think that it probably made a lot of women feel incredibly comfortable that they're like oh yeah oh like (laughs) oh okay okay um but to get back to your point Sarah I I I had a guy on set we did a love scene and he was not comfortable with certain things and he was quite a bit older than me which is also happens on camera like I played Ray Liotta's girlfriend for God's sakes, like we're, he's lovely, but we were on TV, anything goes. So, so I remember this, this one gentleman, not Ray, a a different uh, actor. And he just said, he said, no, I'm not comfortable. And I, and I kind of said to him, like, how can you do that? And he's like, you just tell them, Aaron, if you're not comfortable with it. And I was like, huh. Wow. (laughs) Anyways, I kind of had, I had some experience perhaps that I was not necessarily comfortable with. And so moving forward, I had auditioned for this role. And it was a role that does a lot of uh, sexuality in it. And I said to my agent right off the get-go, I said, if there's if they require me to do any kind of nudity or this type of sexual behavior, I'm not comfortable with that. She said, no, no, it's for a comical thing. You might even get to improv. So I went and met the director. But I ended up getting the, the job. And I, and I was on my way to my wardrobe fitting. And I had a call from my agent. And she said, okay, so they would like you to like jump into the pool in this scene without a top on. And I was silent. And she said, I've told the Marin that you're not comfortable with that, just so you know. And I said, okay, great. Because I was like, I was like, Trina, if this is going to be an issue and they do want this, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm, uh, this is a hard no. And they have time to recast it. I don't need the job that much. And like, I was very clear with her. She relayed that to casting. I went to the wardrobe fitting. They gave me a bra and underwear to put on. And I said, and I was like, I'm not wearing this. I'm not comfortable with this. And they said, well, just let us take a picture. Let us take a picture. Let us take a picture. And so I knew the wardrobe girl, so I let her take a picture. But even that's out in the world. Anyways, cut to the day we're filming. And the, the wardrobe people come knocking at the door. And they basically say, you know, we're ready for we're ready for you on set. 
she came up and said, this is, you'll just be wearing your bra and this, that. And I said, no, I'm wearing my jeans and I will wear a bra, but I'm not going topless. And she said, oh no, you're going topless in it. And I just knew something was going to happen. I went and I wrote my name down on a piece, like my agent's number. The executive producer needed to see me along with a couple of other actors that had refused to do it. I went in and spoke with her. We're holding up set at this point. Very stressful. I never liked to keep set held up. And by the time I went in, the other actors had gone in to talk to her and they were like quite visibly upset when they came out because they felt forced to do this. And I went in and I said, look, I, I've had this conversation a while ago. Here's my agent's number. Um, I, 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 was not, I was not comfortable with this at the time of casting. Yeah. Anyways, I had all my T's crossed and my I's dotted and she came out to me after and she said, you're fine, Erin, just wear a bra and jeans, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. But it is that pressure scenario where yeah. they just kind of expect you to do it and everybody else is doing it and sorry to I, we seem to be talking a lot in, about nudity but like so for that I was I was not comfortable it was a guest star role it did nothing for my career it was gratuitous I said no um I also kind of went far in auditioning for Outlander which is this phenomenal series on stars and the lead character you have to do full frontal nudity and I mean you put out your full bits like waist down and that's uh, anyways I feel like that's the kind of role I would absolutely do it for if I could lend myself to that and there's something happens like you said Sarah it's so weird to have 50 people around you it is weird but for me it's also the most comforting thing because I'm in I'm used to cruise and in storytelling I can kind of lose myself and lend myself to it I think that that also comes with experience or being comfortable uh, what have you and and doing love scenes it's the least romantic thing you'll ever do in your life because <laughs> you, you've got like a sound pack jammed in your bum and the boom guy is trying not to cast a shadow on your bits and, and it's you know and, and the and the guy you're making out with is your best friend's husband and you're planning a barbecue in between takes it's like ridiculous but you got to sell it and so I I do believe, I I think nudity is important. For me, it's a matter of is it appropriate, when, where, and then also getting that contract marked in to to the point of like, you can see her right breast and her left buttocks. You know, it's very, and they have to, we have a union and they have to follow protocol and might suck for the director to have to like, and the DOP to have to map around that. But that's that's why everything, and also what you're getting paid to show those bits is, Right. I mean, models. You have a model t- coming on. I'm sure she'll be way cooler mm-hmm. to talk to you about nudity than me. <laughs> no. I haven't well, done that much. but Well, speaking of pay, that was another question that we had because I know uh, pay equality has been a big topic of conversation um, all across the entertainment business. But have you had any experiences or seen your friends have any experiences of having issues with pay equality um, or, you know, issues with contract negotiations being sort of skewed or discriminatory i've had one experience it was for um like a movie of the week we called them mows where i was cast and a a male was cast and i had far more experience than he did and my rate was also higher so you have a rate as an actor the more you work the more it goes out be it episodic rates for television or you can have like a flat film rate it depends if it's a low budget, you have to bend and weave with the times. But I do remember like saying, I, 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 unless it's favored nations, which is everyone gets paid the same. I said, I need to get paid more than him. And that's just, I have more experience. I have a higher rate. Da 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 And they actually ended up not using me. I didn't get the job because 
um, they, it, it came down, Trina was, my agent's really good and she just articulated that, but it came down to them saying, oh, we don't want your client upset on if she's going to make this an issue, which I'm, I'm so not that person. Anyways, they kind of made it their own hoo-ha, but really they just, we're going to pay this young, good looking dude more money and that's not fair. So I didn't get the job, not that I quit. They basically, I don't, they didn't fire me cause we hadn't gotten to that point, but uh, outside of that, I haven't really had that much experience with pay inequality. Um, I've been a, I've been the lead on his show and have been paid less than a male, but he also had way more seniority in the community. And I kind of think that that's how it should be. Like any job, if you have more seniority, you're going to get paid more. Um, so I, I don't have any stories specifically about that. I think on the whole, um, our rates have gone down quite a bit because as Canadian content on American shows, that's more of the inequality is that the Americans will always be paid more because you're Canadian. And even if you're on the American show because you're Canadian, if you're not on your SAG, your SAG contract, which is American, you'll get paid less. We, yeah, we were wondering about that difference between Canada and the US, if there are some massive differences, whether it be gender or just, you know, stateside versus... Canada. The pay is different and also our unions operate very differently and not to poo-poo on our union because they, they do work hard, but like working on a SAG contract and I'm involved with both unions. Mm-hmm. I hope this isn't boring for people, mm-hmm. but like, for example, if you're working under UBCP in Vancouver and you're, and there's a, let's say I'm doing a movie with John Smith. He's American. He's on SAG. I'm working under UBCP. We're both the leads of the show. If he's the American star talent name, he will get paid more than me. Um, And our certain things in the union will be different where he gets 12 hours door to door. Mm -hmm. So so the second he comes home, he has 12 hours until he has to go back to work. Whereas I think we have 10 hours set to set. So if I'm working out in Squamish and I come home, I really I'll, I'll sometimes only end up having seven hours from the time I step into the door to the time I have to be getting back to work and seven hours is not even a proper night's sleep, let alone memorizing your lines, showering, making dinner, maybe talking to your mom, mm-hmm. whatever. Like it's just, there's, there's a little bit, but I, I, we tend to kind of, I don't know if we've gotten bullied. I don't know. I don't want to speak illy of our union because they do also represent us, but that, that, that's the kind of inequality I really notice that, that is, that is frustrating. But then again, I mean, I sometimes work on say contracts. So that's, I mean, it's a a different topic, but it is, but usually when you go on these movies, it's 14 days, you suck it up, you do it. Is it fair? No. And I've, I've sometimes, if we are shooting in Squamish, I'll just rent a hotel on my own dime to save the three hours travel so that I can sleep in a hotel and get that extra sleep which is what people do. So, yeah. That's really interesting, Victoria. Since you have experience in Canada and the U.S. in the music side of things, have you experienced anything similar to that? I have a, There's so many Canadians in Nashville, and as well as Australians, and I can't imagine having to deal with both industries at the same time. Yeah, I don't really see anything necessarily comparable in like contractually that kind of thing it it seems pretty pretty similar across the board but obviously in Canada you know your how much you earn in royalties is going to be proportionate to the size of your audience and it's Mm -hmm. just a much smaller audience like it's a 10% of the American audience so that is reflected but there's also uh, I guess perception issues around how seriously someone is taken 
based on whether they have had success in the U.S. or just, quote, success in Canada. Um, and so I know that's that's always a difficult thing because, I mean, there are, there are superstar musicians and superstar actors in Canada who nobody really knows down here. So um, you're operating in the mouse on the elephant's back, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it is what you said. It's just a numbers game, right? Like, it's hard for us to have a star system here. There's more people in California than there is in Canada. There's more people in Tokyo than Canada. I mean, look at the map and look at the geography of that. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Am I thrilled and so grateful to be Canadian? A hundred percent. But like, I mean, a lot of us do, you know, travel to the States because that's where there's opportunities to get to these big audiences where you have the exposure, where you have, um, I mean, that's, and also you're, you're, you're just going to make more money there. I mean, that's that's just that's just a fact. And thank God for Canadian content, really, because if if our art was not protected and required to, you know, there's a requirement to air a certain amount of music and television content that is Canadian made um, and Mm -hmm. starring Canadian talent. And and if that was not there, we would just be swallowed up in the identity down south. I mean, I owe my artist career to that for sure. Erin, I I wanted to touch on something real quick because um, it reminded me of something that we'd asked a few people in season one, um, and now it's super specific to you, Um, but... So I don't know if you listen to Armchair Expert, um, Dax Shepard's podcast. It's one of my favorites. Um, And there is an episode with America Ferreira, and she Mm -hmm. was absolutely incredible. And what you said about working with that older male actor who just was able to say no, and you were kind of surprised and like, wow, how do you do that? You just say no. That is something that I think I've had a million times. I'm sure Victoria's had and so many other women, no matter music, acting, whatever, have experienced. Um, And America was speaking about wanting to direct and not feeling like she had a reason or was able to ask to direct. And then she found out that a couple of lesser known male guest stars that were just kind of like in and out of a couple of episodes were getting to direct. And she was like, wait, what? Like I, and, and she was like, I put this bias on myself thinking that I didn't have enough clout or didn't have the right to ask. And then she did. And she ended up getting to direct a bunch of different things and found this whole other area of the industry that she loved. Um, and it, that, what you described made me wonder if you looking back have ever put kind of this bias on yourself that was of your own making almost not because you didn't think you were good enough but just because you were like I didn't even realize I could do that right oh that's I love Dak Shepard in my I I mean I'm always like amazed at Watching Ozark, Jason Bateman, he's starring in it. He's he's directing like 99%. It's incredible. Jay, uh, Jason Priestley also does that. I've worked with him several times. And then he just, he'll be like, action. He'll be behind the camera and then flip on front. And then like, he's able to split focus. For me, up until I would say my early 30s, I really had n- no desire. And it, was only, it wasn't until being Erica that I felt that I had the confidence because I knew the crew so well. They were so amazing. They were so amazing 
to the point where our A camera, Angelo and I would, he's like, you got to direct. I'll be right there for you. Like we can do this together. The problem for me was at that time, I was in every single scene. And when I wasn't in the scene, I'm in hair and makeup. I'm in ADR sessions. I'm in uh, publicity with Temple Street, with the BBC, with the CBC. Like it was very overwhelming. I, for me, I was... I was I I had my I I had an, a lot on the go. Had we had done subsequent seasons, that's something that I would have contract put it in as a contract to say, um, I would like I'd love, I'd love the opportunity to to direct. And then what you normally do then is if you're a main player in something, when you start the new season, you'll direct the second episode first. So let's say episode two, you can prep and do all the location scouts casting yada yada, and prep to shoot it shoot that first so that by the time you're done then you can roll into the season premiere and have someone else direct it does that make sense so you could there's there's ways of doing it and i know i don't i can't think right now i don't know that many females in canada on their own series that are directing except for amanda tapping comes to mind because she did like i mean she was on stargate she's she did um i'm gonna forget the name of her series that I really liked in Vancouver. Anyways, she did a, she did a lot of directing and, and found, um, and, I, and I haven't worked with her as a director, but I hear incredible things about her. For me, I would love the opportunity to direct, but I think that I'd want to do it. I've, I've shadowed certain directors and I'd love to do something where I could focus all of my time to that. But if I was ever to get into a position when I get into a position again of being like you know either on an ensemble or a lead of a series that would definitely be something that we would contract in and I don't think that I'd have any qualms about asking it because I not to say that I think I'm amazing I've never done it but I also have a really good knowledge right now of you know the technical elements of the artistic elements of set etiquette of you know being a liaison between um, the art side of things and the technical side of things like it's a real dance and like I just am so comfortable in doing that my strengths would be with like lenses and certain things that I kind of are garble goo to me um, so you so you just ask for help you 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 know and uh, Megan follows she's a lovely direct director she played Anna Green Gables I love her. huge yes. huge for me huge I got to work with her she directed me last year and I was like I got a fangirl I very got a fangirl. cool yeah, and she um and I actually shadowed her a little bit, so it was cool to, you know, and working with DPs like getting just getting I'm kind of going way off topic here. I have never had that, um, what America had, but I'm also I haven't worked in an American series before, so that would be very intimidating and overwhelming. Being like really having the networks. Like that's weighty stuff. I on being Erica, I was very much alone on set a lot of the time with an onset producer, and I got the freedom to kind of do whatever I want, which was awesome. But you know, there wasn't a lot of cooks in the kitchen breathing down my neck. At, at least once we got rolling. Well, that's great to hear. And I, I, I want to say just as you were talking, I love how much you call out other women by name and say what they do and how wonderful they are. Um, Cause we've spoken about that a lot, whether it's uh, an artist like Mickey Guyton, making sure to highlight every single writer who was part of a song and invite them and bring them to stage. That's a really super easy um, and really 
loving way to support other women or creatives period that you love is just by calling them out by name and saying that there's someone you enjoy working with or someone whose work that you really love um, and I love that you so naturally throughout this whole conversation have just thrown out these names of these women that surround you because it's really really nice and I think it sets a really good precedent for other actors artists whatever to 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 do the same We'll link to all of them in the show notes, too, so people can go explore them. I mean, there's so... Thank you, Sarah. I didn't realize I was doing it, but it just... I guess it comes naturally because I had so many people that inspired me and helped me along, along my path, and I just hope in return I can somewhat be able to do that for other people because it's scary and it's weird starting off. And, like, it's... it's I think even outside of, like, acting, singing the arts, life in general, you can, you can be taking an Uber somewhere and have the driver say something in one sentence that is so profound, it can actually change your life. Like you never know what, what you're going to say to somebody that could totally change their life or at least brighten their day or, or what have you. So there's been so many experiences that I've had in my life as we all have of like, you know, taking something, borrowing something, stealing something, learning from something from someone, and then, you know, flipping it around and being like, thank you for that. That totally helped me. That totally, you know, I also, this is so off topic, but did you know that Chadwick Boseman and Denzel Washington, Denzel Washington had paid for Chadwick Boseman to go to school and it was like all anonymous no. or something and it came out after the fact and it yeah he it was I mean I might not have the details right but it was but it was something where Denzel had paid for a scholarship or paid for his education or schooling or something as as and Chadwick was a no name but like all these years later here he is like Black Panther and his legacy now and rest in peace but like what a small thing. And I mean, financially he was able to do that, but there's, there's so many little things that you can kind of drop to people. And like, and I pick up on two, it's just, we're a big global community and shed some love. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. We have a few sort of get to know you questions that we ask at the end, but before we go to those, is there anything else that you want to share about anything you're working on, anything you're excited about right now that you'd like to let the audience know? So guys, I'm really nailing COVID. COVID's been great. <laughs> yeah, I know. That makes it a little hard. <laughs> um, and not to make light of COVID because it's <laughs> obviously, you know, it's dire times for everyone, especially those that are directly affected by it. But um, it's been interesting as an artist going through this period, um, things are now picking up and I just booked a job. I'm so Yay! excited. It shoots in Vancouver. I love the character. I just spoke with the producer. Like I'm, I just, I feel like... There's a part of me that's missing when I'm not, and it's not even like, of course, financially, like I did one job in January, I, you know, like, I'm like, what am I, how am I gonna, I'm living with my mom, I rented out my place, I'm in the mountains and, you know, but it's, it's this silver lining too. my brother's having a baby. I've never spent a Christmas in, or a, a summer in Jasper since I was 19. I'm connecting with my family. Like I haven't, I'm certainly missing the artistry, but also it's been interesting to just kind of do other things. I do zoom acting classes. Now I'm doing morning pages, like anything that you can do to kind of stay alive and and keep going throughout this. And I really think that like songwriting, especially there's going to be some really incredible, beautiful things that uh, come out of this. My girlfriend's 
name drops. Serena Ryder, she's she's a buddy of oh, mine. Oh, I and, love Serena. Yeah, and so she just, you know, she's releasing new music right now that just is like, you know, and carries me through times, whatever. But yeah, so right now I just am like, I guess I just like to say to everybody out there that's going through the hardness, just keep at it. We're not going to be in this forever. And um, I'm personally grateful that I can safely get in front of the camera again and keep telling stories that I hope people enjoy. And, and I mean, 2020 on whole as a year has just been, I mean, where to begin. It's, I think I wrote it on my Instagram page. What did I say? I'm like, 2020, you're the worst, but hopefully you'll make us our best. And with everything that's going on with, you know, with everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter and with our women's movement and with the trans movement, I just hope that this year is like a really just a, a point for us to start to actually make change. And and I'll end up by saying everyone vote if you're yes. in, in Canada, of course, but if you're American, please, yep. please vote. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Five questions. Okay. Question one, do you have a favorite creator at the moment that you're kind of obsessing over? David Lynch. Uh, I'm reading David Lynch's book. I mean, he's not new to me because I was a Twin Peaks fanatic, but I'm I'm reading his uh, book right now, Big Fish, and he's he's just such a weird, beautiful genius, and he's really into transcendental meditation. And like when I read his book, I'm reading his book, it just really resonates with me. Like... I've never experienced before. So yeah, David Lynch. Your favorite trend at the moment doesn't have to be anything entertainment related. Just anything you're loving. I just celebrated my one year of sobriety. Oh, wow. Congratulations. And my, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So my trend right now is, uh, we call them NAs, non-alcoholic beers. And I'm I'm actually seeing a fellow and he doesn't drink either. And so, and I kind of find like sobriety is also trending, sober curious, not having labels on things, whatever. And so what's trending for me right now is like all these crap breweries that are pumping out non-alcoholic beers that taste delicious really you guys <laughs> like yeah my favorite right now is red racer and partake anyways that's what's trending on in my little neck of the woods awesome okay what about a trend that you wish would stop bullying and online trolling <sighs> i just the trolls like people i i'm pretty i'm very fortunate with the people that follow me i'm more of an instagrammer than anything but uh every now and then especially with um uh, politics and Black Lives Matter and certain things. I just, just the amount of negativity that's out there. I, I, I just wish that I, 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 so much would go away. It's so interesting. Like I have friends in my social circle and I see how they behave online and I know them and they're good people. They're really good people and they have big hearts. And yet somehow when they're online, I see them say things in a way that is just really hurtful to other people and i'm like how how what is it about that that makes people feel like they have the right to like they wouldn't do that to the person's face they're not that kind of person so what gives you the right to do it online and do like is there a disconnect with realizing the effect that your words are having somehow i don't know it's very i mean i don't want to quote taylor swift but i sure love her her what is it fairy fable What's her new album? Anyways, oh, I've been yeah, Folklore. To- folklore, thank you. And But this is, I mean, she's like, say it in the tweet, it's a cop-out, whatever, like that, you need to calm down. That whole song, it's like, it's true. Like you, 
Say say to someone's face, but like I, we feel protected because we're behind. You're so right. There's some weird disconnect where people have this anonymity yeah. they can hide behind, or they don't have to see the effects. Like we're so yeah. we're so impacted by someone's facial expression and being held accountable with personal space being a thing and especially now with everybody being so so distant it's very odd and you're you're right victoria it's super weird to know someone in person and then and then i see it in i see it in politics a lot like with people's politics it comes out and i and i just don't know yeah it's really disheartening to find out that someone that you love and respect and know is a good person and seeing something bad they say online you're like ooh, it's yeah i had to make very distinct rules for myself particularly i was in west hollywood when um, George Floyd was killed and the amount of content on there, I had to make very specific choices for myself of how, like, I just want to, not to live in a complete naive bubble, but is it going to be worth me blasting someone that's ignorant? Is it going to, like, you know, my mom always says, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? So I really, really try, but boy, there are some times when people don't believe that they think COVID's a hoax and they are fighting because they don't want to wear masks, all this stuff. I'm like, okay, great. Like take the higher road and you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's very tricky. Anyways, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And I always think that when having interactions with people and also online, and then sometimes less is more, just does the world need to hear this? Uh, question for the last time that you failed. The last time that I failed. Oh, darling, that'll be a long time ago. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be recently. It's always a, it's always a recent thing. I mean, this is kind of personal, but I'm, I'm seeing this new fellow, and uh, just with communication skills, it's it was like a huge fail. I've I've lived the majority of my life alone and I have my own routine and my own space and here I am in COVID and I'm in a small town and I'm living with my mom and I'm dating, you know, a, a fellow that has two children. I'm not used to that. Anyway, something happened. I reacted. I thought that I was justified. And then I do believe in therapy. I talked to my therapist and she's like, oh, honey, no, that's on you. <laughs> you, she called he did you. that. <laughs> she, oh, she's so good. She's so good. And I, and I, and like, thankfully I'm at the point where I'm open to it. Cause I do want to try to be a, a better version, the best version of myself that I can be um, for myself primarily. And then ultimately for other people in my life. And I, I was just this total thing where I just tore a strip off him and was so angry and just puffing around and then she kind of laid it out for me about like you know you had a reaction to that you felt he was doing this in fact he wasn't da 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 and uh, anyways I I I a huge huge relationship fail but at the same time now that I'm aware of what happened hopefully I can catch myself in the future yeah oh communication fails are so easy and we go into situations with our own set of glasses that we're seeing everything through and we just interpret it in totally the wrong way sometimes not how it's intended that's a great way of putting it my glasses they're like glued onto my (laughs) face the big coke bottle (laughs) coke bottle thick ones (laughs) totally 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 Speaking of trends, I love the trend of people being so open to therapy lately. I feel like that is so healthy and lovely. And I mean, why wouldn't you do a checkup like you would your body, you know? It was so taboo for like, I mean, taboo, taboo. People think that, you know, you 
there's something wrong with you if you, and I'm like, you go to a dentist for your teeth, you go to, you know, like there's, why wouldn't you go and get one of the most important assets you have, like your mind cleared and your emotions and, and whatnot. I let on the, on the Emmys the other night, someone, this fellow won for the Watchmen and he just, the first thing he said, he's like, how to thank my therapist. And he was like <laughs> unabashed about that. They've changed my life. And like, if it helps you be more at peace with yourself and have better relationships. It's great. Like it's a great, you know, anyways, there we go. There too much information. No, too much information, my mom would say. There's no such thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> so final question, if you could go back in time to any point in your life and visit yourself and give yourself some advice, what would you say? Uh, do you know, it, it feels like deja vu because being Erica was all about time travel. I, doing all the press everyone's like if you could go back (laughs) back." but it's never been it's never actually been stated that way and it's hard because initially I'm like would I want to go back to myself at a hard time or I think I go back to myself in grade eight because grade eight too much information is a very strange time for women girls turning into women and I mean my parents are going through divorce and I think I had a lot of like very pubescent thoughts that were negative towards my body towards myself and I didn't quite understand what was going on with my family and there was this one time I was sitting on the step crying I remember talked about it therapy (laughs) and I think that I would just I would go back and I would have a conversation with that little version of myself and reassure her that you know she's loved and and she's perfectly fine just the way that she is and to and to just to be happy and and know that she's loved because really at the end of the day I kind of think everyone needs to like put your give yourself a big internal hug and like smile in your heart because it's so easy to not take care of ourselves and I think it's really important and I think that that my little version of me needed it at that point but hey if she didn't go through that maybe I wouldn't be an actor in therapy exactly. now so true we all, you know we all go through stuff but if I could I just I go give her a big old hug and take her out for an ice cream and reassure her and tell her that it's everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's a great place to end. And thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for listening to me ramble. Thank you so much. We love your vulnerability and and all your information. It's been really nice to to have a different perspective. And thank you for sharing your night. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very honored, ladies, and wishing you all the best. And everyone stay safe out there. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks, Sarah. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on... The table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop you.